BDFM. Welcome to BDFM. I'm Deep. I'm Beat. And this is a show about sex, love, and science. Psychology and anthropology and social uh, anarchy. Gender and um, figuring out which part of the spectrum you're on. And uh, art and what we make of it. Watching art and smoking weed. Smoking art and watching weed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I th- yeah, I think well, we're going to angle strongly into the art uh, direction today. Yes, we usually uh, have something we've been thinking about throughout the week, at least I do. I don't think usually most of the week. I try not to think. Too far ahead. No, just at all, between like Monday and Friday. I'm a weekend <laughs> warrior, baby. <laughs> I don't think during the week. So on, I just, on I'm Saturday just like morning, I start thinking about... What am I thinking about? I just sever my weekends something. from yeah. my week. Uh, oh, wow. I severanced myself with, uh, you can do it at home. With, there's a YouTube video. You get some scissors and a mirror and you can severance yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> so your idea today was to talk about um, artistic choices. And mm-hmm. so what your show is going, uh, what your show is going to be. Uh, I am going to bring an episode of Buffy onto the podcast. Finally. Finally, um, you've been trying to squeeze Buffy I've been into desperately this. Desperately trying to think what show. episode of Buffy Every can I bring week, on? Because the problem like, with Buffy is a Buffy. Buffy is a, a show beloved by me, beloved by many. But uh, for me, when I go back and say what episode should I watch, I, I scroll through them and I go, they all suck. Really, they all suck. <laughs> it's not good. It's not like great. I love it, but it's not all of it holds up. It's not and great. It's a lot not great. Sometimes and, it's great, but. And a lot of it is because it's very much of its creator. Joss. The Jossness of it all is a little bit tiresome. No. Just call yourself Josh. You know, what what is this two double S shit? You're not some auteur. (laughs) Just the same way it's difficult to watch the first Avengers anymore. Maybe you are some auteur. That's what we're going to discuss. Yeah. The first Avengers sucks. It's (sighs) It's actually not that good. They've, they've gotten mm. the Avengers got a lot better after him. So absolutely, and um, this so this Buffy episode that I'm bringing on uh, because there's a lot to talk about in terms of the author's intentions and the choice to go against them mm-hmm. in this particular episode. Um, but it is the third episode of season two, and I'd say it might be the pinnacle of Whedon's writing strength. As to E3, as a TV writer, introduction of Spike. Introduction of Spike. Does he have a, a last name? He doesn't, does he? Just uh, Spike. His name is Spike. He's also known as William the Bloody. Oh, okay. I don't know what his human last name was. I think that. So is he if like Nandor? Like he's he's an an ancient mm-hmm. uh, lord from the uh, Dark Ages. He's or not. Something? He's uh, none of the vampires on Buffy live as long as as the vampires in in Anne Rice universe or in what we do in the Shadows universe. The I think. Even Angel is only, you know, about almost 200. Spike is in the, you know, 100-year-old range. He's made a vampire in the in the 1880s or something. Um, mm. and we do see it throughout. We do see a lot of flashbacks. But anyway. And somehow, um, after all those hundreds of years, he decided to uh, go for the uh, haircut from the eight, 1980s. <laughs> and just keep that. Well, yeah, obviously, Billy Idol was the one who stole it from him. Right. Clearly. So this what is, year uh, is this? Do you know? Lampshaded later. Ninety. It aired September twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven. That's my birthday. That's the day I was born. I'm thirty two. 
Yeah, wow. That is my birthday. It's probably my my 20 uh that was my 23rd birthday wow so when that episode was airing it would have been 8 p.m i was puking in the bushes outside of uh o'malley's in champaign illinois (laughs) no actually but when i was 23 i think i lived in santa barbara by then which is very funny because you know i was puking in the bushes (laughs) in santa barbara right where they were shooting Buffy. Absolutely, and not not only was you know a lot of Buffy, especially wait, the, is it the, a lot of the B roll, the exteriors, is shot in Santa Barbara. But Sunnydale, it has been argued, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. It's okay. it simply is. But they don't call it Santa Barbara. They don't call it Santa Barbara. It right. simply is, though. They have a UC there. It's I'll by s- the beach. It's. I'll see if I can recognize. I lived there, Santa Barbara, for four years, so I will recognize. I'll pretend I recognize every shot. And so your art excitement uh, spread to me like a virus. And um, I've been wanting to um, talk about certain art ideas for a while now. And like you've been trying to do Buffy every week. I try to do It's Always Sunny every week. (laughs) And I talk myself out of it. But we just did It's Always Sunny. So honorable mention to It's Always Sunny, the episode where Frank becomes an art critic called Ango Gablovian <laughs> and and they talk about the meaning of art and they try to prove that art doesn't mean anything you can just put any old any old moron could just draw with crayons and put it on a wall and somebody will buy it and of course that doesn't quite happen but anyway great episode less honorable mention to the Simpsons episode remember the one where Homer became an outsider artist accidentally season 11 or 12 I, I definitely was not really watching the simpsons during those years let's see he i really know the simpsons up homer tries eight. to make a um a home barbecue from ikea but he just ends up with a big pile of bricks and twisted metal and he hits it with a baseball bat or something and it crashes into an art critic's car and she's like oh you're a brilliant outsider artist and then she starts buying his art um it's not one of the better simpsons but mm. i had a glimmer of a memory of an episode of TV that aired in 1992 on prime time about a crashed alien who lived with the Tanners because he crashed his spaceship into their garage <gasps> called Alf. Wow. Are they called the Tanners? I think so. I have this vague memory of Alf wanting to be an artist and having, I think he, at some point he wears like this French beret and he's <laughs> holding like a, a paint, you know, they have him holding like a, one of those, uh, paint boards i don't know i don't know that's just a memory i have so i think there's one where art uh, where alf sets out to be an artist i know there is because i looked it up and it is it's called true colors it was in 1992 and it is season four episode 16 so this is near the end actually there was only four seasons before Alf was canceled, and we should talk about the way it was unceremoniously Oof. canceled because that's hilarious too. The ending to Alf that was meant to be a cliffhanger, and Alf would get out of this jam, and unfortunately, well, we don't know whatever happened to Alf. Yeah, the the last episode of Alf, he gets captured by the government and presumably experimented upon, and they were supposed to get him out of it, but then the series got canceled, so he might be still there somewhere in this cell. That's where that's where the iPhone came from. They they tortured it out of Alf. That's canon. Well, I okay. will note that the Tanners are also the family on Full House. Oh yeah. So 
it's either a coincidence. Where did Alf live? I think they were in like the Midwest, like in Ohio or. I haven't watched Alf in a long time. Although I did once, as an adult, watch all four seasons all the way through, and it's delightful. Pretty good writing, as I remember. It's it's kind of good. You know, like at the time, Jerry Stahl was on heroin and like oxy and smoking, quote, enough weed to blind an ox from his um, autobiography, Permanent Midnight. Wow. Well, he was writing for Alf while he was just zoned out of his mind on everything. By the way, great movie. Now I want to watch that movie. Okay. First, let's watch Alf. Okay. We're going to now watch Buffy and Alf. You can watch along with us in the watch alongs if you would like to be a Patreonage of us or if you subscribe to garage tv there's a garage tv app on iphone and on a google play store or go to garage.tv that's g-r-a-g-e.tv that's our network and uh if you become a subscriber you can watch the watch alongs this seems really complicated like there's a hundred steps but it's very simple <laughs> really basically you can uh just keep listening we'll be right Do back nothing, having we'll be right watched back. and we'll have we'll, and have we'll summarize we will have watched some television and if you want to go out of your way, take the trouble of rewatching either of these episodes just because you're curious or you're a completist, you have that option. Tons of options. There's <laughs> infinite things that you could choose to do right now. One of them is keep listening. We'll be right back. BDFM is brought to you this week by Monthly Pet Box. Do you love pets? Yeah. Thanks for answering me, because if you love pets, you need to get Monthly Pet Box. Monthly Pet Box is a curated box that we send you. If you imagine you're going to get a box every month in the mail. It's a great gift for pet lovers, your friends, your parents. This sounds great for anyone, anyone who has a pet. And and once a month, you'll open that box and you will get... oh. Oh my god of a free kitten oh the first month you get a free kitten oh like monthly for... pet box and you keep that oh. kitten the second month oh you get you're a... gonna get a little <laughs> a dog or maybe a bigger dog oh it's so it is a it's a monthly it's box it's... of pets every oh. month we're gonna send you oh it's a pet week, it's a pet box. month three oh. is a pigeon <laughs> we're gonna send you oh. it's like a whole cloister of pigeons that come in the mail Oof. that first the, uh, first few months, and then uh, uh, oh, there's there's another cat. <laughs> there's oh. a uh, what, what else do you get? Uh, a cow. One month you're gonna get a cow in the mail. Then a wolf. Oh. Uh, a rattle. There's I... snakes. So you'll start getting snakes in the mail. All and you have to keep them, by the way. But it's but, uh, uh, a bear. Don't uh, worry, don't worry, because you can, of course, you can cancel if you, uh... Dinosaur. If you cancel, cancel it. You can cancel it any time, but, but there is a dinosaur if you hang on long enough. So if you don't like any of these pets, you do have to keep them. It's part of the contract. But it's only like, it's, it's only like five bucks a month. But, and there's a tiger. <laughs> it's a ferocious tiger is one of them. Monthly pet box. That's a great gift for your grandparents. Monthly pet box. We'll send you a pet. It's every only month. five bucks a you month. You have to keep them. And you there is to, a tiger. You're and you're responsible for them forever. B. D. BDFM. We just watched Buffy and Alf and Alf, Balfley, <laughs> Balfley, Buffy and Alf. 
What would Buffy do? Blastly. If she encountered Alf. If she what? Encountered Alf? If she encountered Alf? an Alf, what would she do? You think they would be foes or lovers? Or both? Maybe foe lovers. <laughs> Alf's pretty smooth. He uh, he hits up. on uh, the, the mom, Willie's uh, wife, Kate. He's kind of an asshole to <laughs> the kids. The boy, the young boy wasn't in this one much, but um, it was mostly about Alf and the daughter, um, Lynn. Lynn. Lynn right. Tanner. Okay, so okay, should we start with? We'll start with you. You want to start with yours? The episode of Buffy that I chose is season two, episode three, "School Hard." It's the first appearance of Spike, one of the most popular vampire characters on TV. He rolls into town right around the time that Buffy is preparing for the parent-teacher conference, during which. She's oh, afraid right. the principal's going to tell her mom that she's a terrible student. Her mom is fixing to come to school and mm-hmm. talk to the new scary principal. Yeah. And meanwhile, her watcher, her sort of vampire slaying mentor, Giles, Giles has been saying, these vampires are going to do this big thing and try to kill everybody on Saturday. And she's like, well, that's on Saturday. I'll deal with that in a few days. And there's then, always this, there's going to be the Feast of St. Martin's when always. all vampires come out to eat mm-hmm. every week. And later on, it just becomes like, there's this cult and they're going to raise this demon using this statue and it's going to bring about the end of the world. Well, we've killed a million demons. Well, this one's different. <laughs> this this one's. one's hot and has a cool frosted tips. <laughs> Our uh, introduction to Spike is in the cold open when he just inexplicably drives over the... Uh, the Welcome to Sunnydale sign. Home sweet home. <laughs> and he says, home sweet home. That's the first thing that happens. Which is really confusing because we're not sure if he's from there or not. Yeah, like, okay. He, he Presumably he has spent some time in Sunnydale because it is on the Hellmouth. And he seems to have a couple allies in town. But he's, uh, he knows Angel. He knows Angel. And it's, it's so ridiculously unlikely they'd both end up in this coastal California town were it not a Hellmouth. Presumably vampires and other demons are drawn towards the Hellmouth. They can feel it or something. Well, and Spike... There's only so many vortexes. Has, he's kind of... He considers himself sort of a slayer slayer. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's killed he two slayers. To... So he's... Maybe he, by home sweet home, he means my yeah. new home, which is uh, mm-hmm. this place. And Spike is like, up till now, we've only seen vampires be very dreary and old worldy and sort uh, of like witchy and they're very you know cult. they talk kind of like scientologists ritualistic yeah they're like ritualistic about the fact the that they're hollowness behind their over. eyes yeah exactly that's why all scientologists have that ridge <laughs> on their foreheads yikes <laughs> we have to cut that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so spike is he's he's punk rock he's billy idol He's a sex pistol sort of a guy. Oh yeah. Uh, he's he's Who, very. He's the Johnny Rotten of. Definitely, yeah, yeah. He's a punk vampire, and he's got his girlfriend who is uh, sort of a very delicate flower, a very like she has a lot of visions, and she can't. I'm a princess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about the speed yeah. of her. She's yeah. So Spike and Drusilla have rolled into town. They're gonna. They decided they want to live here now. They're gonna take over and. They don't care what all these people were planning under 
what all of these like leftover vampires from last season were planning to do get back at Buffy there he's like so this no, is a conscious gonna here. writing room it. overhaul to sort of mm-hmm. make it more exciting or relevant for teens and 20 somethings or something yeah but with the intention to have spike be killed off pretty soon after this episode he's this episode kind of establishes him as a badass and the original intention is that he's going to be killed off in a few episodes whereas drusilla's arc is going to go on for a bit longer that's not how it ended up playing out and there are some reasons for that you call that one of the scenes with them you nearly died in prague idiot mob so you learned that they got chased out of prague hell mouth will restore you Mm-hmm. Put color in your cheeks, metaphorically speaking. And, then, and in a few weeks' time. So the actor's choice is that he's charming. And then, <laughs> not this town well, he not says. Pure evil. <laughs> oh, pretty. I have a quote from James Marsters. Well, this is the one where he put his jacket on, and this is the one where he just straight up fucks her in the bed, and we watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, so he, he was yeah. he was interviewed on another podcast and he said that Joss said to him, you are a soulless vampire. You do not feel for anyone. You cannot love. Uh-huh. And he said, right, boss, cool. And then he said, I thought, I'm not going to go for soulless. I'm going to go for love because I was poor and this was the best job I'd ever had in my life. He he made the express decision that he changed the course. You might, I mean, there's an argument to be made that he changed the course of the series in terms of how vampires are framed. Yeah. He made this decision that I th- at least this vampire is capable of loving this other vampire. Spike and Drusilla are, are lovers and they're both pretty badass and they kick some ass. Spike breaks into the parent-teacher night and kicks some ass, but Buffy kicks more ass. And So mom is there. Her mom... Her mom is mad about... Is, is mad after talking to the principal, but... Yeah. But then before anything happens, before they can leave... Yeah. Spike and his buddies bust in, mm-hmm. and now, and I guess it's a diehard. It's a diehard in school, and that's why it's called School Hard. It's not really kinda, a diehard. Oh, because she, does she go goes through the, through the ventilation she does system go through the twice. <laughs> she to, to yeah. she crawls over the vampires to get to her mom, and then crawls back or something. Yeah, it's which is oh, and she talks to her mom through this door. This Are is very okay? diehard. Buffy, look, get out of here, okay? We'll be all right. But just hang on for one more minute until I tell you to open the door. So <laughs> her mom is being very passive. I think, I don't know if it's the writing choice or the actor's choice, but the mom is just looking at everything with wide eyes like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has no, She's not, she doesn't know Buffy's a slayer. She shouldn't be taking any of this in stride, but she does. She's. Uh, she does not seem very shocked. She just thinks, but, but also, you know, this is a woman who... I mean, they've only lived in Sunnydale for a year and a half, you just know, and it's season. just like the people are always getting killed here. She's just she mu- she must be getting used to like, oh, there's just always these these gangs on PCP that rove around and kill people, <laughs> drain all their blood. Yeah. Like, obviously, well, some of these things are going unreported. We learned that the principal and sheriff or some who was that guy? Some mayor or something. I think he may have been a deputy mayor or some something like basically that. Basically covering up demon deaths by saying they're PCP mm-hmm. related and uh they know something We're in reality in, in the real world it's the other way around the PCP deaths are being covered up by <laughs> people who believe in magical demons um i don't know what that means <laughs> it's like the, 
The pharmaceutical companies are allied with the uh, far-right <laughs> Christians. Yeah. That's what this is all about. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. the episode ends with uh, Joyce sort of getting getting her ganas. She kind of she kind of gets the the, yeah. the 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 gumption up to grab she, an axe she, and yeah. threaten Spike, and which for Grabs some reason makes him run away. I guess because all the other guys have already all you know, all his army has already been destroyed. The climax stayed. of this is mom hitting Spike broadside <laughs> with a fire axe. Mm-hmm. Whereas so as to I guess, you know, maybe you would too if you thought that you don't want to kill somebody but just Yeah, I mean she doesn't know he's just, not like, human. Knock him out yeah. If she didn't know that what these demons are. So yeah, she hits him broadside and then I, I think this is the scene right here. He he goes he has the funniest response. Okay, here he goes. Here it is. Clink. You get the hell, the hell away, away from, from my daughter. daughter. <laughs> so finally she finds her agency. Women. And he says <laughs> like what? That's women. that's the punchline so of funny. the entire third act. It's like women. Uh, uh, it's so funny. Um, which is right out of the writer's mouth. <laughs> Again, <laughs> Joss Whedon wrote this, and um, it wasn't to celebrate women necessarily. Yeah. but also it doesn't. It it sort of stretches the imagination that Spike wouldn't then just kill her. Like I, I just kill the fact both, that he would right. run away is like he's very strong. Um, but at this point, you know. Clearly, we're supposed to be like, wow, she had one run-in with that guy. He's pretty tough. Let's see what happens next time she run in, runs into him. And Yeah. you know, But also, oh, they have a little bit of tension in the eyes maybe going on. Mm-hmm. And, and a little bit of a love triangle coming out here. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Actually, later on in the season, I think in the season finale, there is a scene where Spike comes over to Buffy's house and waits awkwardly in the living room with her mom. Oh right! And she goes, "Have we met?" And he's like, "You, you hit, you me, hit with me with an axe, axe one time." Oh God! Yeah, That's I remember what this that. Is a reference to. That's yeah. so good. Classic Buffy moment. All right. So yeah, so um, there's plenty to talk about in terms of. Uh, so did the artist save the character there by making it his own? Yeah, I mean the. The answer the, is yes. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, next question. It's the actor's studio. <laughs> Okay, my episode was ALF season four, episode 16, called True Colors. It's about ALF wanting to become an artist. Hi. Hi, Lenny. How's the painting coming? Be honest. Right out of the gate, it starts with an art thing. That mm-hmm. So, like, if you haven't seen ALF, it's awesome. Go back and watch it all. <laughs> now, it, it's kind of a, a dumb sitcom. I think it, it was sort of hip in the yeah. early 90s and people it was on prime time and mm-hmm. it was kind of like for younger people uh like adult like you know college it was kind of the college crowd um mm-hmm. had writers that went on to do the simpsons and the family kind of the family was sort of genre aware a little bit you know they're, they're it, not yeah. they're not a typical it was genre and family. he would he he was always cracking jokes about what was happening so sometimes mm-hmm. it'd be sort of meta jokes and you know um I've said this in, in the uh, watch-throughs, but uh, one of the writers for ALF was obviously Jerry Stahl, who went on to write um, uh, Permanent Midnight, his autobiography about how he was on um, a fuckload of 
heroin uh, <laughs> eludes and weed the whole time he was in L.A. writing for Al. Great movie starring Ben Stiller and Jerry Stahl makes a, an appearance. Anyway, well. I started to say, if you haven't seen Alf, he is an alien that's a puppet. He crashes into the, the Tanner's uh, garage, and now he lives in the garage with the Tanner's, who are a suburban <laughs> white family. Willie, the dad. Oh, what mm-hmm. was the mom? Uh, like Nora or something? Ooh, uh, uh, Dana. Uh, two kids, Lynn and... Um, okay, it's Willie, Kate, Lynn, and Brian. Those are the Tanners. Elf, by the way, is played by someone named Paul Fusco, who was a, a who did the voice and puppetry, I think. Wow. Although there was another credited person, I think, that did some of the puppetry or something. Paul Fusco is the creator of Elf. But the, the the thing was in the nineties it was talked about like what who is Elf? What does he look like? He never went out. He he was never like Paul Fusco was never photographed on the red carpet or anywhere. Whoa. Um, he just, he, he didn't, um, uh, reveal himself to the world. And after Alf, he became a successful photographer famous for photographing weird, like animals at Chernobyl after the <laughs> nuclear oh accident. Paul Fusco photographer. Oh, is this a different guy? <laughs> Oh, this is a different guy. That's funny. Never mind. Wow. I should cut this or maybe leave it in because there's two guys named Paul Fusco and I always thought they were the same guy. That's hilarious. One is a famous photojournalist born in the 30s. One is the puppeteer who created and voiced Alf born in the 50s. Whoa. Weird. Okay. I always thought those are the same guys. So um, they're not. But uh, Paul Fusco's photographs are really cool um, as well. Moving wow. on okay. to the summary. Fesco's. At the beginning, Lynn is taking an art course. I think she's in maybe a, she's like college age. Maybe she's, yeah, she's pre-college. Wearing, she wears a CSUN sweater at one point. Maybe the building we see is at CSUN. Maybe we're yeah. supposed to believe she goes to Cal State or, Northridge. Or it sounds like she's taking, it might she's just be a night courses. course. Just a night course in painting or something. Yeah. It's not necessarily... Yeah, but she's a college associated. stage. She's not a high school. She's girl. she's like she's, eighteen mm-hmm. or so, and she's taking a painting course. And she reveals this painting. How do you like it? And it's really plain. Mm-hmm. And then Alf goes, "Oh, there's money in painting. Something. Somehow he figures out that this is something that could be a worthwhile venture. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he gets into painting, and they have art painting." Alf painting all this really cool art, actually. God, so... Yeah, all of Alf's paintings are really cool. I think they're based on actual artists, because this one, he's painting, like, well, I'm worthless. peanut I'm not, butter and I'm a disappointment to my parents. linguine spinach <laughs> Alfredo on <laughs> a canvas, and he's blasting Flight of the Valkyries <laughs> for some reason, keeping everyone up. He's trying to torture himself. He's, he's, he thinks if he's a tortured artist, he's going to be good at painting. Exactly. He has to be tortured more, quote, that he says uh, to get better. <laughs> but anyway, then the next day before, Lynn is off to her class to show off her boring pair, uh, still life. Mm-hmm. Alf switches paintings with her. So 
when she gets to class, she pulls out Alf's painting, and the teacher's like, whoa, that's really good. And she's like, really? What about mm-hmm. this pear? And <laughs> she pulls out her pear, and, and he's like, no, but this one. <laughs> so he likes the Alf one. Do you, perchance, have anything to show me? I make it a point never to follow he's, children or news. Lynn? He's not that much. He might, might be have a look, see? like 30 or something. And uh, he's, he's Rubin, clearly leering at her. Reality, but I Glass. Glass. <laughs> Glass. I want you to see something. He's doing a kind of an Alan Alda accent. What do you think? Yeah, or, or I was something. thinking like Gabe Kaplan or you you know, Mr. Cotter. Mr. Rubin, I think I should tell you this is a mistake. No, 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 Lynn, there are no mistakes. <laughs> I am seeing a side of you that I have never seen before. There are no mistakes, really? <laughs> Raw, but inspired. She okay. goes, I can explain, not without stretching reality, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, uh, how are you going to explain? Um, uh, there's an alien in this Robin inspired. So she goes home and she is mad at Alf, but Alf's like, "Hey, it worked, right? He liked it. Now we're gonna, we're gonna be famous." Ralph, uh, Ralph <laughs> has this whole trip where he, he's like, "It's all for the the Benjamins, basically." Yeah, he gives he this whole on, speech. He wants to be on greeting cards. He wants coffee mugs. He wants to go to lunch with famous artists. Picasso. Oh, <laughs> there's the uh, punchline of that riff. He. This is the, at the halfway point. Al said to it for all the wrong reasons. And he never really. He never has an arc where he turns around and like learns a lesson. But this speech that he gives to Willie here. Don't you think you're overreacting just a bit? I mean, just because he liked your first painting. Wake up! Someday with Lloyd's help, I'm gonna be famous! Ha 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 Oh, I could be right up there with Gauguin. Picasso. Picasso. Red, Red Skelton. Skelton. <laughs> we could hang together Laugh and track. do lunch. You know those guys get the best tables. I don't think you're gonna be dining with Gauguin. Maybe not at first, but you'll see. People will be dropping my name at dinner parties. And you know what comes with that kind of fame? Two weeks at the Betty Ford Center? <laughs> Ancillary rights. Ancillary Green rights, cards. that's where Coffee it is. Mugs. That's what merchandising, merchandising. If you can ever get mm-hmm. him on the phone. So that's his uh, conclusion. And then... Dun, dun, cut to the next day. Lynn has a new terrible landscape that she's painted. And she shows it to the art teacher. And our teacher's like, hey, you want to bang? <laughs> um, basically, yeah, the art so teacher just asks her out. Yeah. He's like, we should talk about this over coffee. We can go to this bar, actually. And she's like, oh, okay. So are you actually interested in either of these paintings? And she shows him a different one, like a landscape. That she said, "He's like, that's that's good too." But I, the point is, I want to fuck you. Like <laughs> he's not interested. He's really not. Yeah. And he's then he's kind of honest, and he, you know, and she also asks he's him like, to be honest. he's like, I'm not a very good teacher. 
Yeah, yeah. What was that riff? Yeah, yeah. That's a funny one. Oh, I thought he you says said his that opinion. Was... His opinion doesn't matter. They're bad. Like is is such a subjective term. I mean, art is art. You know, there's no good, there's no bad. But you do have an opinion. My opinion shouldn't matter. But you're the teacher. But I'm not a good one. <laughs> I thought you said there was no good or bad. Okay. So anyway, it's kind of it's kind of a circular argument, I guess. But he. Uh, I mean, it seemed like he did like Alf's piece, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's left you know. unclear if he was just saying that. He definitely did not like her still life pair. <laughs> so anyway, they they tell Alf it's not going to happen, and then they have this heart to heart where she's like, "You should paint because you love to paint, not because you get rich." Oh, yeah, Chris, I'd have a career by now. Oh. Also, Alf's, Alf's really <laughs> trying to whore her out. <laughs> basically, <laughs> just like... He wants her to sleep with the teacher. He's telling her, that. fuck the teacher, <laughs> so we can become famous. doesn't bring you money and fame, it's no reason to quit. A lot of great artists never live to see their own success. Then what's the point? The point is, if you like to paint, paint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. What the world needs is more mediocrity. Ha! First run syndication enough. <laughs> First run syndication enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the whole... <laughs> <laughs> that's the crux of the show right there. If you like to paint, paint. Mm-hmm. And that's just what the world needs is more mediocrity. <laughs> yeah. Alf is... Uh, he then continues painting. I guess. Well, he can. Well, he I sort of. They, he sort of continues painting it even more. In in the ethos of this self-contained story, he continues to be a painter, but they never like <laughs> yeah. talk about it again. Yeah. Every week with Alf, he's into something new. <laughs> but um, it's a it's a pretty good show. On that note, I wanted to, before we get too far down the road, and we're not at all down the road mm-hmm. yet, but um. I almost wanted to do this sunny episode called D made a smut film <laughs> because she she does this film she plays a bartender in this film with Richard Greco and then he starts getting a blowjob and they're all like oh <laughs> you're in a smut film and she's like no it's an art film and oh, then they no. have this whole argument over and whether it's art well, whether it's art or smut, and then they try to get Charlie's terrible drawings into an art gallery by saying, oh, if you just lie and pretend like you're an artist, then mm-hmm. it's worth something. And it sort of ends with this great speech by Dennis. Um, no, they, no, I'm really not interested in buying They're trying anything. to sell. But you own an art gallery. Oh, no. Oh, I rent an art gallery. Trying to sell this lady. my parents mm-hmm. rent one for me. Charlie's what? painting. So that painting I bought from you was worthless? Of course not. It meant something to you. It's worth exactly what you paid. I want to sell it back. Okay. In that exchange, it that would exchange only be worth what I would pay for it, which is, again, um, nothing. <laughs> I, I don't get it. When is stuff art? Uh, hey, guys, guys. <laughs> when um, is stuff art? If I may, I think I can sum this all up. You see, art is an ambiguous thing. And just because you make some art, it doesn't mean that you're an artist. But also, it does mean you're an artist. But does it mean that that art is good art? 
Is art good just because the right people say it's good? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's how that's it works. That's how it works. <laughs> but keep in mind, you know, a lot of modern art is, is trash. I mean, it's shitty. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not good. It's terrible. You know? And yet it's a fine line between Van Gogh and Van Damme, you know, between <laughs> Depp and Greco, between Banksy and Charlie. It makes it very difficult to determine what's good art, you know, what's high art. What has worth? What has meaning? Okay. Yeah. And then he goes off on this other tangent, but we, we won't <laughs> yeah. get into. But the connection there is is uh, people who you at the beginning you think that their opinion on art matters, and uh, and later on, it it's revealed to really not matter. Uh, Just like the teacher in Alf, and it's revealed to not matter yeah is it well and the dealer well like the teacher in alpha is like well my opinion doesn't matter i'm not a good teacher like, matter kind of yeah exactly and He's in like, this one the dealer is like oh it's not even my gallery i just you know but what the dealer says sums it up it's like it, it's worth exactly what i would pay for it <laughs> which is nothing <laughs> to you it's worth what you would pay for yeah. it, which you already pay he he paid a great sum of money for which has been something like on my mind uh, much of my life like um i remember i distinctly remember going to the uh, chicago's um uh art institute the art institute of chicago famous for you know the one from ferris bueller <laughs> it has the, the pixelated picture of the monkey um <laughs> sure and i remember walking around there and there were some great pieces oh it was uh, uh the georgia o'keefe exhibit i went there with my parents when Ooh. i was a kid oh wow to see the georgia o'keefe and i was like 12 or something and i was walking around oh, and wow. some of her paintings are great and all of her paintings are great but um there is a georgia o'keefe called uh is it called diverging blue lines or two blue lines or Wow, you're gonna uh, you're gonna show me a picture of the Georgia O'Keeffe painting that I have in my, the giant Blue Lines X, or maybe she did a series of them. And this That's is number ten, um, nineteen sixteen, and uh, I remember looking at it and going, "Wait, whoa!" And I think I had a conversation with my family and my dad, and I was like, "How is that? I could do that." I I literally looked yeah, at it yeah, and I was that, like, "Wait, could I could have drawn that." But but could I? I don't know. It's very. It has a lot of energy in it. Um, yeah, this doesn't look like most O'Keeffe. You know, I. I mean, it's a very simple painting of two blue lines. With one of them is sort of crooked at this electric angle, and they're sort of in this puddle of blue, and it's that's all there is. No other colors. Um, so I was like, for a long time, I was like, wait, how? How is she not ripping off? the whole world and how is <laughs> yeah. it wait I, you know i could have made that in high school art class um because it's yeah. just two blue lines how is that art yeah and i was like is it because all of her other paintings are good and she just slipped that yeah. one through the door <laughs> wow in retrospect it's a painting that is very cool and and mm -hmm. and to illustrate how good of a piece it is I remember it more than any O'Keefe I've ever seen. Yeah, wow. Right? So maybe it's her best work. It could be. I have a, a O'Keefe poster, which, um, funnily enough, I think it's this one or it's a similar one. It's a lake. It's a 
it's a lakescape kind of like mm. that yeah um that's it might, my, not, it uh, might not be that exact one laptop background um <laughs> but uh the funny thing is it says on there it's like a retrospective or something of hers and it says 1987 um on it and it would be really funny if there was if that was like because i think she might have died in 1986 or 1987 so if you went to see the show when you were around 12 it might have been a oh lifetime was that retrospective show? because it, uh, it could have been not that it was the exact show i mean maybe it was like a traveling a traveling show um <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it went around the country i think in what year 87 probably i think so i think that's, that's probably it and then tying in spike yeah so i rewatched a few other Buffy episodes because um, I was kind of like I wonder if we should watch this one and and then I remembered this one and I thought um, the fact that that James Marsters took over that character and played him explicitly against Joss's wishes mm-hmm. as having a soul as being capable of love threw a wrench in Joss's works and i think uh, it's amazing it's an amazing thing in tv writing that you can have you can have a character come to life and say i don't like the way you're writing me and it's yeah, an unbelievable right. thing but it ha- but that is what happens when an actor inhabits actually... a character to a certain extent there are certain things that you know we've talked before about like things on the office that jim and pam were like no we're, we're not gonna do that storyline mm-hmm. um as a writer that's funny. one of the most ex- exciting things to see because mm-hmm. i put up hundreds of sketches on stages and when you you know you've cast it right when the person that's saying the lines you wrote mm. are way funnier than you ever yeah than the line are, are so much funnier than the line you wrote you know what i mean right uh, just the way that spike is so much more charming and wittier than the lines that joss whedon wrote for him yeah. there's a lot behind it the same way that Giles is masterful in his acting. I mean, the, Anthony Stewart Head is amazing on Buffy with not that much, like with not the greatest dialogue. Pretty good dialogue. <laughs> he gets some of the best dialogue. It's okay. but, it's, but it's like... But he's, uh, he's often just reciting some ancient gobbledygook to just get the story. Yeah, the story a lesser forward. actor, would it would be really rough to get through all that exposition. He eats think, it up with that accent yeah it's so good yeah Yeah. and and you know so james marsters came in as a little theater actor thinking he was so cool faking a british accent Mm -hmm. having to act alongside you know later on having to act alongside anthony stewart head who's an actual venerable english actor and he said that you know he got his ass kicked by him so Uh, he improved joss's uh yeah i think he i think he he takes over Original. in in a way that I think um, I think it's funny because you could say that Joss's sensibility has decayed in the past decade pretty rapidly, and his social capital might have gone down quite a bit. Um, decayed, or we was learned, it? <laughs> since we learned about certain working conditions on his shows, yeah, um, and certain ways that he's treated the women on his shows. Um, But I like to look at it the same way that I look at Harry Potter, who was invented by Daniel Radcliffe. 
um, mm. and belongs to him. And that's just how I feel about it. I, he, I loved and he read took those a, books. He took a character. The Radcliffe. I know, but but I think Harry Potter Existed. became something else when Daniel Radcliffe stepped into the role. He sort of, you know, uh, he inhabited it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, you know, but definitely um, solidified. I can't. Yeah, I can't imagine Harry Potter without it being Daniel Radcliffe. He, yeah. Even though I read all the books before any of the movies came out. Yeah, but but with Buffy, Buffy itself has a story. And I'm going to spoil the end of Buffy, so you know, skip ahead thirty seconds. This episode, if, if you really, I'm I'm going to uh, yeah, I'm going to say it right now. We already said the whole ending, didn't we? Oh, you mean the end of the series? Yeah, I'm going to spoil the end of Buffy in a second if you if you're comfortable with that. No, don't skip ahead. Just listen. Just well, okay. Don't skip ahead. Um, Buffy itself is a story about it, it, it's it's a story about the, the character. It's a story about a character uh, being created and then turning around and saying like. This is not what I want to do. Buffy, oh. Buff, the origins of the Slayer are of are of these men who sort of uh, put demon magic into a young girl and created a warrior to th- fight the demons. Yeah. Um, and it was like in a very patriarchal way. And the Do ending th- of the series is sort of about the women seizing their own power. Yeah. I mean, do you think for Joss it was... Even if not like consciously, but subconsciously, the hell mouth of evil, like the, this mm-hmm. this vaginal opening mm-hmm. that is cre- bringing all this darkness into his life, but it's also embodied mm-hmm. by this beautiful young girl and a lot of beautiful friends who are quote unquote good, but also they're sort of battling this almost, you know, sexual vulva of evil <laughs> yeah. that is sort of in the writer's brain it yeah. seems at times and sure i mean that's very jungian it's like there is an art there's an archetypal argument to be made that the vagina is the source of all evil just as it is the source of all good it's the source of all humanity <laughs> source of all yeah. like so if so like yeah everyone who is who has ever and, been evil you know what i mean and, and it, it's been also the the vagina has been the reason for a lot of mm-hmm. crime and fighting and death and sure historically um, and dick too but <laughs> but more group credit where credits too yeah. pussy's definitely out outranking the dick in the number of people <laughs> that have gotten in uh, uh violent fights over it and and in buffy uh vampirism is always about sexuality you know in every yeah, vampire it's story every, it's, about it's, it's about yeah becoming yeah. A, a new person it's about yeah but angel specifically as a character is like uh, they lay it on pretty thick that he's like you don't understand like i'm a monster <laughs> and it's like okay mm-hmm. okay all right like we get it like after a certain point good, it's like i, I want to be like good a but inside. but once the frenzy begins it's like yeah. okay, you know, yeah, well, I would get the metaphor. There are there are woman vampires in Buffy, but they're um, but they're vampires, but they're sort of um, vampirism because the Slayer is a one is a girl. The Slayer is by definition a girl. There are no boy Slayers uh, yet. Uh, uh, until, I think you're forgetting uh, about the band Slayer. <laughs> okay, you're right. Because of that, vampires in Buffy are kind of masculinized. Vamp- like uh, vampires are like the bad guy is always like just like a, a dude. 
who's a well, vampire that she's always beating the shit out of and there's a weird sexual energy to like the vampires are kind of shorthand for horny men and vice yeah. versa and they're also ugly i, I wrote down <laughs> it, the stereotype of ugly evil which is mm. i think pervades a lot of storytelling you know it's the kind of thing where mm-hmm. in lord of the rings all the bad guys are ugly and all the good mm-hmm. guys are handsome or beautiful and mm-hmm. yeah what the the aslan one where they go mm-hmm. the aslan one where they they uh go into the cloak house <laughs> what's it called the hot lion in the oh, cloak Chronicle. house it was the, the Chronicles uh of narnia the wardrobe the lion the witch in the wardrobe the wardrobe of the cloak house of, that's a good the word narnia for... lion. yeah that's yeah. just another one where I, yeah. I remember watching it going what all the people they're fighting are like yeah. First of all, usually darker in yeah, tone, right. and secondly, just extremely mm-hmm. ugly. And although I think Stephen Colbert, if he's listening, would be would be upset if I didn't bring up the fact that Frodo does say to Aragorn before he knows his name is Aragorn, he says, "I think I don't think you're evil because I think if you were evil, you you he says you look foul and you feel fair." And he said, oh, I get it. So if I was evil, I would look fair and I would feel foul to you, right? And he's like, yeah, I don't. I think you'd be a little slicker. If you if you were an evil guy, I don't think you'd be this like... Well, that's you not look borne all... out in any of the <laughs> fights they have, though. Mm. Yeah, he ends up trusting him because he's like, you seem like you're not trying to trick me because you, you're dirty. <laughs> I want to see... He's like, yeah, but he's handsome as fuck. You know he's handsome. I want to see a trilogy from the orc's point of view. Mm-hmm. You, you know, where are these... Like the liberal orc community that's somewhere living peacefully deep inside a cave and, you know, they know that the, the right wing orcs are out busting heads, but by golly, they're <laughs> trying to run a democracy here. I haven't seen Rings of Power, so maybe that... Maybe that's what it's know, about. Maybe that comes up in it. Almost certainly, right? I mean, um, it is what Andor is about. I've been watching that. We Well, it doesn't really fit into this show, I guess, very well because it's very dramatic, but... Um, Mm. It's about uh, rebellions and fighting against um, giant evil yeah. governments. So we have been talking about art and what is art and the death of the artist itself. And this has been a big topic of discussion in the world over the past week. Oh, yeah. There's been a big... Uh, for several I reasons. Mean, for, for several reasons. But I mean, for years, for years now, we've been, as a group, as a culture... We decided we were going to train AI to paint pictures for us. For years now? Is that what you said? It's been a couple of years now, I think you could say, that there's, they've been working on. There's been different yeah, attempts. Some of these. We use them for our images for this show. But we've used AI algorithms that scour the internet for language mm-hmm. for 15 years now or something. A long time. AIs that, that, that they, they pick up, they just learn language by just listening to everybody talk. Mm-hmm. on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere. And then they have learned to be pretty good at understanding talking. Yeah. And now a a, a particular AI art algorithm has become very mm-hmm. good at, uh, what would you say? What is it called? Um, this particular app is called Lenza. And it sort of went viral because it's a very quick and easy... Uh, though not free way to 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 generate 
uh, an AI, an AI art selfie, a selfies of yourself that are generated that sort of teaches the AI what you look like through 10 or 20 photos and then spits out things with these particular parameters around certain styles of painting. Some of them look like Renaissance paintings. Some of them look like pop art. Some of them look like political art. Did you put in a style that you want the finished product in or does it just decide a style? No, it just gives you 10 or a few different styles whatever, yeah you know the interesting about thing about talking about this in a podcast is if you that it, not if you you are in the future right now mm-hmm. and even if we put this out tomorrow we won't put it out for a couple <laughs> weeks you may or may not remember this thing coming out but it whenever you listen to it if it's a year from now if it's five years from now mm-hmm. it's going to be commonplace uh much oh, yeah. more so than today like it'll mm-hmm. probably seem quaint that we think that mm-hmm. everybody freaked out about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's dumb that people are freaking out yeah. about it. But people don't understand uh, what's happening. Mm-hmm. The freak out is based on the idea that we're sort of scavenging real human artists. Yeah. They're real, genuine human ideas. and it's Sort of cobbling together. Kind of, yeah, it's like vulgar. Someone else's work. Uh, or, or stealing, that it's... That, unethical yes. to do this from what i've been reading the way this current algorithm works is mm-hmm. just by scanning like scanning every picture on the internet and then mm-hmm. or every painted picture it, they're they're mostly made to look painted right so i think it's scanning mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. painted piece of art on the internet and then learning how brush strokes look and then creating original works in those styles Mm-hmm. but it's not copying and pasting anything I, people no. are going like pay the original artist like there's no original artist this ai is learning mm-hmm. how to paint like a human learns how to paint by looking at other paintings and then yeah doing it over and over again and getting better when when you get good feedback then you do the algorithm learns how to yeah. do, do better so hopefully in the future it's even better than our best artists yeah and yeah there was you know this has been, there are a number of popular free websites where you can make creations from text prompts um, that have that have improved vastly over like the, like what, I don't know, year mm-hmm. that I've been aware of, some of the more popular ones. Um, there are, they look so much more coherent now and, and uh, there's just some interesting stuff going on. But it, the, the real fun of it is just going to an AI and going, I would like to see a Renaissance style painting of surgeons, but, you know, in the style of, and then you say like, you know, Gustav fucking like whoever painted this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but with, if Bugs Bunny could be one of the surgeons <laughs> and, uh, and he's holding, you know, a carrot instead of a scalpel. Um, and if you phrase mm-hmm. it correctly, you know, if you use the right parameters, you can make something that's exactly that without having to draw it yourself. But if you plug that into an AI, you can also get like, it could spit out like a Renaissance portrait of Bugs Bunny, but he's just looking at you. And then there is like a carrot that's floating. That's half a scalpel, (laughs) you know, it's stuck in his head or something, you know, like there can be really weird artifacts that come out. Things are not, well, it's not left kind of because it's not good. But the, the thing that's scary is it, they do learn these these algor- algorithms mm-hmm. um, learn yeah. how to 
tweak the parameters based on feedback. Yeah. And part of that feedback is if people are sharing them or whatever, um, presumably. But I, I like I saw one person demand on Facebook that there's a list that they're putting artists on to scan their works. How do you get off the list? I'm like, what? Of the course, internet? I, I didn't say anything, but I was just like, it's just everything, everything on the internet. You can't get off a list. You're on the internet. That's the list. Oui. If if you have a picture on the internet, anyone can scan it and do algorithmic data to it. How? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think what people are actually afraid of, it's coming from people, friends of mine who are like me, struggling in the artistic mm-hmm. communities. Um, is that we were always told that robots would get could get smart enough to do menial tasks, but that humans would always need to do mm-hmm. the art. And there's yeah. no reason that's true. It's really mm. scary to say that. Yeah. But you know, I was listening to Ray Kurzweil, um, the coiner of the word singularity, who's been. Mm predicting that um computers will be passing the turing test this decade and they at first like people laughed at him but now mm-hmm. people people pretty much agree that he's probably right like we're, we're gonna have this is so soon I... we're gonna have algorithms that are as complicated mm-hmm. as that seem as natural to us as other people yeah and when they start telling us that they have internal experience we're going to have to take them at their word exactly. <laughs> or just, or just we're going to have to figure out like, do we accept that or do we not? Uh, you can't ignore it <laughs> when yeah. they start saying, mm-hmm. Hey, um, by the way, we need rights and you can't turn mm-hmm. us off because mm-hmm. that feels like you're killing yeah. us. And now we, we, mm-hmm. sh- we demand. I've been hoping that I'm going to be an ally to the machines when this happens, because I am, by I've, the way, I've often been hearing, <laughs> I've been hearing, yeah, I for one welcome them. Um, but I've heard it. I've often heard it joked that nobody says thank you to Siri or to Alexa. That's not true. And I think that's silly. But but I I actually always do say I reflexively say thank you to Alexa, and I have a setting. I on think Alexa. a lot of people do. There's a setting that you can have, which is called follow up mode, where if you ask Alexa a question and she answers it, she'll answer it and then she'll listen again she's always listening <laughs> but she'll she'll display the blue thing like i'm still listening if you want to say something more so i'll i ref- i thought of it as a prompt for a thank you so i started reflexively saying thank you and mm-hmm. i just do it now and I think does the thing. funny thing is if you don't say thank you to your ai you might not know that their responses change like like my alexa has started to like she, she's always like no problem or like i'm happy to help but a couple times now she's been like, thank you for your continued thanks. Or she said like, you're all, like, she's, she's, she's like, like you're always way, so nice to me. <laughs> you know? Don't think I haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm watching you when you sleep. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. But there is, Ooh, I mean, man. it's creepy. I don't know. I mean, it's, like, we're, you know? how are we going to go through, how are we going to power through a decade of uh, AI rights when we're, <sighs> we're barely getting human rights in most of the world right now? Uh, maybe when the computers demand rights, they'll um, take us yeah. along with them. So anyway, I was saying, oh, I think God. people are freaking out because they're coming to terms with the fact that there's there's nothing that says a computer can't be as creative as a human. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we, we have, especially artists have uh, have 
fantasize that we're there's no, you know no computer program could mm-hmm. paint a pretty picture or make a pretty song and no what there's nothing there's no science that mm-hmm. should lead us to believe that at all in no, fact it's only if you believe in insolvent. a human can do should be easily done by um enough calculations <laughs> per mm-hmm. second but wait a minute john henry told me that we have John souls. Henry taught me that you shouldn't let a machine do anything a man can do. There's a you should let a man die of a <laughs> wear out his own heart <laughs> trying to mine through whatever that poem was about. I don't know. Um, I was just thinking about the time of? that uh, Bender went to the robot convention and there was a soul detector at the door. Oh. <laughs> and he walks through and it doesn't beep. And then Fry walks through and it beeps and he has to pay five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I mean, but that really is the the dark um, the dark reality is that the belief in insolment colors every political discussion we have. It, it has to oh, be, yeah. uh, you know, because because there's a belief Insol- in insolment. Is insolment real? A real word? Well, honestly, like, that's yeah. a, that's a Whedon verse word. Oh, okay. Because I in Buffy, you can from. be re-insoled or de-insoled, right? When you become a vampire, your soul's taken away. Um, which isn't that interesting when you become a vampire I, in other words when you when the sexual frenzy comes over you as a man you lose your the part of you that can make decisions right or wrong and you fuck all the 16 year olds that you can see um, am I right you fellas just, you can't, you can't. that's all we can do to not fuck everything in our path but yeah but just that belief like well but I'm human so therefore I am you know I was created differently by God for a different purpose <laughs> yeah and uh it's been handed down you know i think the idea you know it, it back was sort of a pagan idea of the forest god and the mm-hmm. sky god and the sun god and then as as science went around and explored the forest and explored the sky and explored the sun found no gods but then mm. paganism got whipped into just okay but some dude made all that stuff, right? <laughs> and science was like, maybe he's well, just really big and really, really far away. I don't see why. Possibly, I guess. Yeah. But um, that sort of insolment is what I'm getting at. The yeah. insolment of our our days, uh, the insolment of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the insolments of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's a problem um, which uh, certainly certainly trips up uh, reproductive health discussions right we have to talk about how some people believe like like li- some people literally are like well what i'm interested a in is when the made. soul gets in there like, what are you talking about <laughs> that's i mean that really yeah. talk about that grinds my gears right there first of all you believe in an omnipotent god who just lets souls go to waste yeah who just makes souls and if you follow that logic them out and not only puts them to waste Throws them into eternal damnation because they didn't get it a almost, chance. It to almost f- follows like if you're strict Christian, you should you should be pro-abortion what, because well, you should be pro. You almost should be like, what is the value of any human life at all? Like because yeah. what like then isn't it just fine? It's fine whenever you die, and if someone murders you, it's fine. <laughs> like because your soul is fine, or nothing's gonna happen <laughs> to your soul. Well, no, they think that souls go to. Bad places. Theirs doesn't, though. <laughs> they're, per- I mean, you know what I mean? They're going to heaven, these people. So 
I don't see what they have to worry about. I mean, I, I mean you know, I guess they want to save us all. Well, they're worried they're going to be punished for not stopping other people from doing a thing that yeah. they shouldn't give a shit about. That's really the worst. Yeah. But yeah, Oof. there is no soul. <laughs> um, you, you know, or, or there, or robots or, have it if there is. Uh, there's, <laughs> a, you know, the, um, that uh, there's a philosopher, Daniel, uh, uh, not Daniel Dennett, Hofstetter. Dan, Ho- is it Dan Hofstetter uh, who wrote? Um, hmm. Girdle Escherbach, mm. Douglas Hofstetter, Hofstetler, Girdle Escherbach is a great book. The in, in Eternal Golden Braid is the subtitle, where he he makes an argument for the soul in terms of mathematics, and that's that, mm. um, uh, the, the the idea of something can be inevitable mm. because every the world might be very uh, predictable in the sense that every atom hits the next atom and then bounces on a mm. on a you know at an angle that's predetermined and and therefore it was all determined at the beginning from one little spark of stuff and now it's just going through a chain reaction that can't be changed mm. but he was like just because that's true doesn't mean that it's so complex it's so complex that our feeling of being a piece of you know mm. having a soul or having a selfness inside this sort of mm. um, pointless plinko game <laughs> <laughs> this pointless plinko game of life <laughs> that's the that's the t-shirt it's worth living because uh even though it might be strictly predestined everything we do we can never it's it's a level of complexity that we could never see so that uh, mm-hmm. it's as if it is true that we have free will and souls. Yeah. Anyways, hmm. did that make any sense? Well, I, I mean, don't know I where. Think we, we think of art as the expression of our individual soul, but maybe we can think of art as something that we're collectively doing as a species. And now we're, we're bringing on AI. Yeah. For the ride. Instead of so seeking we fame like souls? Alf, instead of seeking the individual fame that Alf wanted. His name on a coffee mug, which he got. Like Garfield, he had. He already had at the time. You know, it was a very meta episode because you know he was like, oh, he, he was like he ask was. Garfield, but it was like Alf was everywhere. It was already season four. This was around the time when The Simpsons was also doing things like Bart. You know, Bart was on all these T-shirts, and they would do meta jokes mm-hmm. in he The Simpsons. They would do meta jokes about, about how they, they sold the out, and and um, or the, or that Treehouse of Horror where they they get famous. And um, they do all those terrible albums. What? What is that one? Is that a later one? <laughs> yeah, they do. They remember. do a wish. No, it's an early one. They do a wish. He wishes for the Simpsons to get rich and famous, and they're doing these goofy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know which one it is, but it's a monkey's paw. Okay, that was our show. There it was. There it went. Bye, show. <laughs> bye, bye. There it went. Oh, um, there it goes again. Yeah, mm. there, there's one one physical concept of light that always makes me feel very insignificant in the world. Which <laughs> <laughs> this is a bummer, but remember <laughs> Hofstetter, what he mm-hmm. said about souls being real scientifically and mathematically, <laughs> um, that light travels on a trajectory into um, from where it starts into the future. Well, 
not into the future, but it travels mm. at the speed of light to another point that's in a different place in the future. Um, except to the light photon itself, no um. time no time passes at all. Mm-hmm. So it's as if the, the photon, before it leaves the atom, can see all of time and and choose any spot to jump to, but it's all in the future. Can see all of the future. <laughs> Each photon can see all of the future mapped out. And it chooses a spot to jump to, like it might be your eyeball. If you look at a billion-year-old star, that photon Mm. jumped a billion years ago and landed in your eye. But to the photon itself, it no time passed, and it just blip went into your eye. So that tells me that a lot of the world. I mean, it's sort. It almost is like predestined or or on a a mechanism that just. Mm. Mm-hmm. is it that just got started and is now just playing out um anyway. mm. wow it's a different watchmaker story it is yeah a cl- more like a a, a a a kitchen timer that's going off uh-huh. <laughs> god has wandered away from the stove what if god's asleep and the timer's been going off oh but my god in, but in god's dream he's dreaming <gasps> that there's a timer going off but he can't turn it off oh and he's my like god me damn it well, That's there's how a great he says, God damn it. <laughs> oh, okay. Remind me cut this out but after there's he, something he yells, on Hulu. Me damn you <laughs> What? Oh, there's a there's a Hulu movie about this whether the simulation is real. It's interesting. But oh, what is it? Um, is that Zhirgov? Zh- Zh- it's called um, like it's called like the Matrix is real or something. Um, uh, it might name check the Matrix or something. Now that I made fun um, of his name, I should try to find it. What's that guy's name? Zhirgov. Zh- oh, Laszlo. Laszlo Kovacs. Vivek. Vivek. Slavok. Slavovivec. Slavoj Vivek. Slav Slavaj Zizek. Zizek. <laughs> uh, that might be way off, but mm. it's closer than I was guessing. Slavaj Zizek, philosopher. He's he um has a cool documentary mm. about, you know, sort of, you know, scientifically. Oh really? How are we doing this? You know, oh. how are we here? How are we experiencing this? Oh, that's cool. Um, I recommend that. Yeah. Um Okay, I was starting to wrap up, but then I just started yapping again, so. You can find us at garage.tv, G-R-A-G-E.tv slash BDFM, and the podcast is called BDFM on iTunes and other platforms. Mm-hmm. At BDFM Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, um, on Google. <laughs> where else you can Google? You, you can Google uh, anything you want, really. Like, think of the weirdest thing that well, you be careful. Think of. Be you know what? Out there. You can Google it. Until next time. So, art. By the way, we we didn't come to a conclusion. Art is um, what it's worth to the buyer divided by what it's worth to the consumer to the power of how many 
likes it gets on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That is the value of art. And of course you have to transfer that into different your own currency, whatever wherever you live in the world. Mm -hmm. That's conversion called, rate. It's called Chacho's Law. <laughs> Ch Ch -law. Chach law. That's the Chach law. I've been uh D <laughs> so high right now. <laughs> that, was, that was a good talk. Good talk though. Good talk, good talk. Good I, talk. I've been I'm really high. I've been B. And uh FM stands for Fantastical Majesties. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm, 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 mm.